Thank you, worship team. It is good to be with you guys, and, and God has just put on my heart this morning that of, of, of us taking time to do that, and I, and I know that there are those of us who are here today who have treated communion a certain way. Whoa, Kara. To have treated communion a certain way um, in regards to the, the, the difference between sort of the sacred and the holy or, or the sacred and the, the sacrament and, and those kind of things. And, and looking at communion as, you know, um, the, the body of Christ physically, physically the body of Christ, or is it being a symbol of, of him. And that's something I don't really want to get into today because that's a whole other message. I'm not even going that direction today. But I just want to let you guys know that today we, we, this is a symbol of, of our choice, of, of us saying that, that Christ is enough. So, so are, you, are you here with me on that? Is everyone, everyone here this morning? Brian's here. Good to be with you guys. I'm excited for today. Um, my name is Casey. I am the associate pastor here at Fellowship Church. And um, I have some stuff to share with you this morning. We are in our series, The Exodus Journey, um, and I have been tasked of taking on this sort of second part to the intro of The Exodus Journey. Um, I get to introduce you guys to Moses, who really is sort of the main character of, of this story, this journey of Exodus. And so um, today, if you guys could just grab your Bibles or, or your phones or whatever it is that you're using today, we will have some of these up on the screen for you. Whoops, I muted myself. Um, um, but would you go to Exodus 2? Um, we, we finished chapter 1 yesterday. Anthony brought us through. And, and if you remember, um, basically the king of Egypt has said that all those born to the house of Israel, to the people of Israel, that are male need to be wiped out, cleaned out. And, th- and this is something that we hear all throughout Scripture. This is not a very um, uncommon thing. I mean, even at the end of this story, we see that sort of the parallels of Passover being that the firstborn of that nation were then, they were going to be killed as well. And so there's a lot of this messed up, strange things going on in Egypt. So the king has declared now, okay, all those born of male uh, who are men um, need to be taken out. And, and uh, Anthony shared with us about the midwives, how they um, had pity on the people of Israel, and they actually didn't follow those commands. And something interesting I just want to point out that Anthony was talking about is um, that it even says that God blessed their family because they were faithful. And in other interpretations, it even says he gave them families. So it was like in them saving these babies, saving the, the, these children of Israel, they actually were then blessed themselves with children. So um, anyway, all that to say, we're going to be jumping right into Exodus 2. So this is the birth of Moses. So now th- all of this is happening. Um, the midwives are saving babies, but also there are children who are being, unfortunately, taken away, murdered um, in this time place. And so we're just going to read through um, Exodus 2, 1 through 10 really quick. So if you could just follow along with me. I know it's a, a, a hefty chapter, um, but I, I want us to focus in now on this. So um, Exodus 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took him for a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it in bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister, Moses' sister, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, Moses. Well, he wasn't Moses yet. 
but the child. And behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister, Moses' sister, when I read this the first time, I was confused of whose sister was who. It's his sister, Moses' sister, then goes to Pharaoh's daughter and says, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the, ch- the girl went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Have you ever seen a beautiful baby? <laughs> it's Tim's. <laughs> Like a, like a real beautiful baby, like they're born, and you're just like, whoa, holy, where did that come from? That baby is beautiful. Well, um, my wife and I, we have two kids, two wonderful kids, um, Sawyer and Everett, and our oldest, Sawyer, um, when he was born, um, he, <laughs> um, you, you go through this process. You have nine months where you're waiting, and, and your wife is getting bigger and bigger by the day. And, and you're just like, when is this kid going to come? I mean, like, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. We, we finally get to the hospital. And, and my wife is honestly like a rock star when it comes to childbearing, like, honestly, like, top notch. And um, we were in the hospital, and, and it, it sucks to even say it. Like, I feel bad saying it because it's like, well, she only pushed for, like, two hours. And I know for a lot of you, it's like, I was in labor for, like, 72 hours. So don't even say that. <laughs> so I get it. But anyway, we're waiting, and, and um, you know, I'm there through the whole process, which is such a crazy experience. For those of you who don't have kids, like, and being a dad in that process, like, you, you feel so bad because it's like, I'm the one who did this, but now I don't have to suffer for it, and I'm just here kind of pinning up her leg, like, okay, is it coming yet? I don't know what to do here. Anyway, so, so Sawyer, our, our, our firstborn, is born, and there's that, like, immediate, like, it's like that weird cry, and then they just, like, you know, without even warning, they just kind of, like, throw it on her chest, and, and we're just kind of sitting there, and and, I, and I'm looking at him, and, I, and I'm like, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, because the, they placed something on my, on my wife, and it was like 11 and a half pounds of human flesh. Like, there was no form, like the beginnings of the world. It was, it was formless. <laughs> and it laid there. And then Bridget looks at me and he's like, he's beautiful. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. Yeah. He also just like swallowed his own poop and looks like nothing. I don't think he has bones. Does he have bones? Can we confirm that today? Oh, my word. Sawyer is a beautiful child. But he also had a face only a mother could love. In the beginning of all of this. I don't even know you were here, Bridget. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Moses' mother saw Moses' face, and she was the same. She was, the, the, she was able to look at this baby and say, this baby is beautiful. From the moment that he came out, this baby is beautiful. And that's easy because, like, well, most moms love their I mean, it's their baby. Of course they love it. But... I want to draw our attention to somewhere in Acts 7.20 when, when this is actually Stephen when he is giving his final message, actually just before he's getting stoned, and he's going through kind of chronologically all, these, all the leaders of the Old Testament and, and where they've led us. And in Acts 7.20, it says that this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. 
So in Exodus, it says he was beautiful. He was fine is what they, the word they use. He was fine in, I don't know why I did that. He's fine. <laughs> he was fine in his mother's sight. But then in, in Acts, as Stephen is retelling this and recounting this, he says, but he was beautiful in God's sight. Now, when we look at this, the word fine that is used in, in Exodus is the same word that's used in the beginning of creation when God is creating the heavens and the earth, and he makes humans, and he makes life, and light, and darkness, and water, and earth, and every time he finishes, he says, and it was good. This is the same word that, that they're explaining. It said, Moses was good, and then in Acts, it says, Moses was beautiful. In fact, the word fine that we see, like I said, is, is, is God describing his creation in Genesis 125. So without a doubt, this guy is good. Like, this guy is good. So good, in fact, that his life was spared and not killed by the Egyptians. In fact, his life was saved and almost shot up to the extreme where he is now the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And I want to go in, because I, 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 I always imagine this situation, like as a kid when you hear this story, because this is one of those stories that you hear all the time um, of, like, sorry. We always see the... The, the veggie tails or whatever. When you're in kids' church, we hear this story, and you know, and then in class, you make the basket and you put the baby in it, and it's this fun thing. And I and I always pictured it like his mother didn't know what was going to happen. Like it was really kind of unthoughtful of her. Like she just wanted to get Moses out because she knew that that it was coming, that death was coming for him. But but that doesn't really correlate because she said he's beautiful. Why would she just send him off? And and there's a there's a piece in this scripture in Exodus that proves that point wrong that it wasn't an unthoughtful act. And, and what I want to focus in is when it talks about Moses' sister. Now, this may seem like an odd thing to include, but his sister watches from afar. She, she watches Moses as he gets put in. And this, this shows me that Moses' mother knew exactly where Pharaoh's daughter would be bathing, and she knew exactly when to let him float down. Then, as Pharaoh's daughter takes Moses to see we see that his sister is coming to sort of, I wrote down my notes, seal the deal. His sister comes to Pharaoh's daughter. is like, oh, a baby. Do you want me to go get its mothers to nurse him? Pharaoh's like, yeah, sure, that sounds good. It isn't very clear if Pharaoh's daughter even knows that, that Moses is then nursed by his own mother. It's not very clear, but it, it seems like Pharaoh's daughter doesn't know. But what a crazy thing that for the next time that however long she nursed, Moses was with his mom in, back at his home for like, who, I mean, I don't, we don't have to get into this how long we should nurse a baby. I get it. But, but we see that then at the end of all this, we see that she brings him back. Moses' mother, his real mother, brings him back to Egypt once he's done nursing. I, if I was Moses' mother, if I was guaranteed wages to keep a baby, and my own baby, and nurse it. I was being paid to, to watch my own child. Like, I'd be going long, as long as I possibly could to make that happen. I don't know if I even want to give it back. But what Moses' mother saw from the time that he was born was that his purpose was far greater than this. His purpose was far beyond anything she even understood. She knew that God had a hand on him, had a calling on him, that he was chosen by God. And she knew that the ultimate way to, to save him, to, to make that happen, was return him back to Pharaoh's daughter. 
Now, as Pharaoh's daughter receives this baby that floated on the river to her back, she gives him the name Moses, which means drawn out, or it sounds like the word that is drawn out because she drew him out of the river. Now, why is this important? Why, why do we hear this, that she was drawn out of the water? Why, do we, why does that matter? Well, what was Moses' ultimate purpose? Why was he beautiful in the eyes of God? Because his purpose was to draw out the people of Israel from Egypt and ultimately lead them to the promised land. Now, that's pretty cool stuff. And I don't know if you're sort of a person who believes that, you know, names have significance. But all through the Bible, we hear of people whose name is very significant to their purpose. We see that Egypt, or sorry, we see that Moses, this name draw out, legitimately, as we look into it, means deliverance. That he was delivering the people out of Egypt. He was able to deliver them then to the promised land. And even though he didn't see that to full completion, he was able to lead them out into their next step. And if you haven't picked it up on it yet, I hope that it makes, I hope this is clear that he was chosen. All the way down to his name. He was chosen. Now, we all struggle with that word chosen and, and more specifically of our, our purpose in Christ, our, our purpose. What, what is our purpose? I mean, it's a, it's a question we hear and even ask ourselves a lot. And it's very, it's very easy to look back on stories like this and see the overarching story and know the purpose because we see the end of it. We saw the end. We know that, it, that that's what happened. So I, I understand the purpose. I understand that Moses was, was, you know, had so much more potential and, and had so much more that he was going to do. And so him, his mother giving him back to Pharaoh makes sense because that was his purpose. But in that moment, it can be hard to think about that, that there was something better especially as an onlooker, looking in. And we see that in Scripture, like I said, we, we, we can see the bigger picture. We see the end, point, the end point. The Israelites made it, eventually. They made it to the promised land. The kingdom was born. Kings rose. Nations fell. Wars were fought. And the people waited for the one true king. But in our lives, we only see what is right in front of us. Our families, our jobs, our social status, our previous accomplishments, our relationships, our hopes, our dreams, and our desires. Sometimes, though, we lose sight of our purpose. I, I want to tell you something today or remind you of something today that you have great purpose. That this purpose is not just for Old Testament prophets and priests. That this purpose has now come to us because God has set you on this planet not to fill cosmic space, but to fulfill the greatest purpose. To live, laugh, and love. <laughs> now, God has called you to a purpose that only extends the purpose of Moses. He calls us to bring freedom to a chained-up world. He calls us to love the unlovely and care for the uncared for. He calls us to not be afraid of the sick, but to heal the sick. And there is no one who did that better than Jesus because he is the one true king who did come. 
the one true king who lived a perfect life, the one true king who died and rose again and gave us full access to the Father in heaven. And through this calling, we find purpose, our ultimate purpose. A verse that gets thrown around in this is Jeremiah 29, 11, and, and you might have it tattooed somewhere on your body, but it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, but to give you a future and a hope. Now, we can focus in on the fact that there is goodness in our future, but what I want to focus on, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, that he does even have plans to begin with. That's what I care about. I, I, I know that God has my best interests at heart because he created me. I would hope so. I would hope that he would want me to succeed. I hope he would want me to see my life come to a point where I am at my full potential. But he has a plan for me. He has a greater plan for me. I, I want to just speak on something really quick, and I actually don't have this in my notes, but something that was just on my mind as I was um, talking about this is we can get stuck sometimes in this I don't want to use big words, but like we, we understand that our lives are predestined. And I know that's kind of a dangerous word. Our lives are predestined. I mean, and we see that all throughout scripture of this idea of predestiny and, and being um, chosen and on this kind of this straight and narrow path that God has played before me. But one thing I've learned about the Bible is that everything comes together. There isn't a sort of like well, God went this way, and then God went this way, and then God went this way, and then God went this way. There's no sort of misunderstandings. There's no sort of like second guessing. It's not a matter of it's this or that. It's a matter of you are predestined, and your free will will lead you there. Now, does that make sense? I know it, I know it sounds strange, but your free will is what leads you down these things. I mean, even look at the people of Egypt or people of Israel, when they left, what was like one of the first things they did? They, they sinned. <laughs> they, they were chosen. They were chosen people set up for this amazing thing. And then like literally like right as they left, they're like, oh, but also I kind of like this stuff. And maybe we should just go back, Moses. Like life was way better there. I don't want to be out here with you. Here's the deal. Our lives are not this narrow path of you make only small movements. We have the play, and we are able to live in a life where our free will enables us to do ministry, enables us to love on people, enables us to make choices, to make big choices, and God directs our paths in all of this. And I, and I, I know I'm not going to go into super detail with this, but I, I just want you to know today that, that when I say chosen, I'm not saying that some of you guys aren't here today, and you're not chosen. What I'm saying is we are all chosen. We all are called to God according to his will and purposes, and we are called to love on those around us. And so I'm going to keep moving, but I, I want us to know that today. <clears throat> so, whoops. Huh. You are not an accident. You are not on a random, you are not a random event in space-time. You are chosen. I want us to think on these things, but I'm, I'm going to continue to read because we still got a, a lot of stuff to get through. But Exodus 2, 11, 22. Let's finish out this, this chapter. So Moses is pulled out of the water. Pharaoh's daughter takes him in as his own, calls him Moses. And then verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people, he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. 
When he went out to the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? When I look at this verse, I, I can imagine being Moses in this situation. So yesterday, I saw a Hebrew in the midst of injustice. An Egyptian was, was attacking him, was, was doing wrong to him. And so Moses, the, the man of justice, comes in and beats down the Egyptian. But then literally the next day, it's almost as if his actions accomplished nothing. Because then two Hebrews are fighting. And I just picture myself in my brain like, I thought I fixed all this. And now you guys are bickering? Like, do you realize that you're in captivity? Do you realize that you are suffering and yet you are quarreling amongst yourselves? But I want us to focus in on what this Hebrew says back to him. He said, he answered, why do you, why, oh, sorry, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. Surely they know that I killed the Egyptian. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, this last portion I just want to, I want to read up, but I, I want to go back. But it says, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel said, How is that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flocks. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So what happened to being chosen, Moses? <laughs> I thought you were supposed to be the big kahuna who could do no wrong and save us all, yet blood was on his hands. <laughs> Basically, if, if <laughs> this is so dumb, if, if Moses was a WWE star, <laughs> his name would be the judge and the jury. Or an, if he was in a rom-com called, rom called The Prince and the Judge, <laughs> only that sounds like he might be marrying himself, so maybe not, but... He considered himself the judge and the jury. He was the one who was going to make the decisions for his people. He was going to step in. Moses messed up, though. A theme that we need to get very used to because as much as Moses is chosen, he is also 100% human. Just like us. And this is genuinely only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the people of God sinning against him. Yet, God delivers him out of Egypt into Midian, where he saves the priests of Midian's daughters. He has a son, and he names him Gershom, which means foreigner, as Moses was a sojourner and a foreigner in this land. Another theme that we'll continue to talk about is this idea of a sojourner or a foreigner, because at this point, Israel has no home. They are sojourners. They're in, they are about to be in the wilderness. Moses' beginning was unusual. He started it already hated by a nation, but chosen by God. He started it by crossing over a river into a new life, a life that didn't suit him. As Hebrews 11.24 tells us, he refused to be called one of the sons of Pharaoh's daughters. 
And it even goes on to say that he chose to be mistreated rather than live in the luxuries of the Egyptians. He knew his place. He knew who he was. Though the people of Israel didn't see it then, he knew that he was the one who was going to be leading them out. He started it with blood on his hands and a passion to see his people free. He started it by running away. But then as he crossed another river, he started a new journey. And we see that as they leave Egypt, and we'll, again, we'll go into this in a couple weeks, but as he leaves Egypt and crosses the Red Sea, it signifies the next step of the people of Israel. Just as much as him crossing over to Pharaoh's daughter when he was born was the first step of his journey. A journey that brought the hope of the world, Jesus Christ, to earth. A journey that led us here today, where now you have to choose if you want to receive your ultimate purpose in Christ. Now, the band's going to come up, and, and we're going to sing another song. Um, I know that we're, we're running pretty short, but, but here's what I want us to focus in on today. Your purpose, your purpose in Christ brings us to a new plane where we are able to, to live life full of, of expectation, of not ever wondering, well, why am I here? What, what do you have for me? Is there more than just this? Yes, there's more than just this. Because this is only a fragment. I mean, the idea of eternity, the idea of, of an everlasting life in heaven makes this time on earth this small. So, so what are we doing with it? We, are, we need to be filling it with our purpose. We need to be filling it with an understanding that Jesus has called us to so much more than this. That Jesus has called us to, to be the ones who step into those places where a lot of times I don't want to be. But I'm not promising you comfortability and I'm not promising you prosperity. What I'm promising you is that your purpose will carry you on. That it doesn't end here. So today, if, if that's something that, that you've struggled with, if, you, if you've, or maybe you just need to be reminded that your purpose is fa- not found here on earth, be reminded today that your purpose goes far beyond anything here on earth. And if you're here today and you're saying, I don't have any purpose at all, I want to introduce you to Christ. I want to introduce you to the love that Christ offers. And as just the same as we took communion this morning, you have an opportunity to take this seriously, an opportunity to say, Jesus, I choose you. And it's really stinking easy. It's really easy because Jesus did all the hard work for you. And what I'm calling you to be is to be a believer who steps up, who steps up, who fills that call, who fills that purpose. So would you pray with me? Bow your heads. I don't want any guys to be distracted by anything that's going on. And I just want us to focus in right now. Jesus, we believe that your life, death, and resurrection was enough for me. We believe that you have given us the ultimate purpose. We believe that, that Moses, as his life started off so rock and so rough and rocky, 
you were still able to use him. God, I pray that we would find peace in that this morning. I pray that we would find peace in knowing that, that God, we have a purpose in you, that we don't have to flounder, we don't have to worry, we don't have to um, be concerned of the things around us, but that we are able to live in freedom because of you. God, now I pray for those who are, who are sitting here today who, who might be ready and willing to take on, Lord, you, to ask you into their heart. God, I pray that you would open their hearts up now as we pray. And if you're here today and you're saying that, would you just pray along with me? Would you say, Lord Jesus, would you step into my life? Lord Jesus, I believe that what you have done for me is enough that I no longer have to live in sin, that I no longer have to live in doubt, but that I can live in a life where I know that you have your best for me. God, I pray that you would enter into my life, into my soul. Purify me, Lord, of the things that keep me from you. I ask these in your name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to enter into a time of worship, and I want to encourage you to end well. End today well. So, God, we give you this time. In your name we pray. Amen.